the sum of the bull case was, you know, Fed's going to pivot. Well, they, they just took that off the table. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart. Thanks for joining us for part two of our interview with technical analyst Sven Henrik. If you haven't yet watched part one of our discussion with Sven, in which he details out why both the macro fundamentals and the market technicals both suggest a downward resumption of the bear market to new lows, head over to our channel at youtube.com slash Wealthion and watch it there first. It sets the context for the investment themes we discuss in this video. Sven also shares the strategies he recommends for investors to follow to successfully protect capital through the rough ride he sees ahead. So be sure to stick around for that. Okay, let's get started watching part two of our interview with Sven Henrik. Let's, let's actually start kind of from the technical side, which is um, at a high level, as you look at the current technicals, um, and are addressing the question, okay, does it look like we are still in a bear market? Was this rally that we just saw, you know, not a breakout, but but really just a, you know, a relief rally within a larger bear market? Um, is that the case? Um, if if so, how much lower do you think this thing could go? What what are the technicals telling you right now? Okay, so in mid June when I made that bear market rally case for the technical reconnects, I, I said very clearly, you do not have a confirmed new bull market until you back solidly and sustained above the 200 MA on the daily and the weekly 50 MA uh, on the S&P, right? Just take those as a basic benchmark. In fact, today I put out a chart, which is also an interesting one. It's the monthly 20 MA on the S&P. You, you've seen many bottoms before. Well, where you know the markets raced right back up, right? Especially during the intervention times between 2008 and 2020. And what you see in those bottoms is, you know, it may drop below the monthly 20 MA and then races back above it. And then on the pullback, it tests it as support and then goes back higher. That's that's kind of a clear signal to say the bottom is in. Okay. In big bear market rallies, big extended bear market rallies, 2000, 2008, what we've seen on all, all of these three indicators I just mentioned you get this initial first flush that takes place maybe over a few months and you get extremely oversold. And then you have that counter bear market rally. And then these previous support points all of a sudden show themselves to be resistance. The market fails to recapture them. So when, when people say, you know, in August, people I saw you know, bull market is back. I said, no, it's not confirmed back until you get over these levels and can defend them. You can have poke overs. And we just had a poke over in August on the monthly 20 MA, which was 42.50. And we went to 43.20 or something like this, right? So we had a poke over, but it's a monthly chart. And guess what? We just dropped hard. And now you're looking, and the month is not over. So I'm not making any predictions here yet, but I'm saying for now, you're looking at a sizable monthly reversal candle, which is exactly what you saw in 2008, which is exactly what you see in 2000. So you got to look at this through a pivot of control. When do we know bulls are really in control? There was a signal charts I've been tracking with clients all summer long. It's NASDAQ, new highs, new lows. And that one was actually stunning because it was as over, I mean, as negative as we've seen in 
uh, during 2008. I mean, it, it was just screaming red. And I was like, wow, I mean, <laughs> what's happening here? Yet we're not really down. I mean, we're down 30%. Don't get me wrong. That was a sizable move. But in terms of where we were, you know, it was still fairly high. But I'm looked at the signal and said, yeah, I'm not shorting this. I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I, I'm going to get my face ripped off. Yeah. But what this chart showed, and this is really important, and, and I've tracked that. You can see it in 2015, 2016. You can see it in 2008. When it has these big negative readings, you get this counter rally to positive for just a short while. It kind of pokes into positive. And, again. and guess what? That's just exactly what happened. Because I, I kept saying to clients, we want to see this positive. We want to see this positive, right? Because that's that's our sign to say, okay, now this, this bear market rally is played. And now you have the opportunity or the, the possibility that this could roll over. And guess what? August, it went right to positive and bang, it rolled over. So if, if that's the analog that plays, then it says, yes, we have a chance of a retest of the lows or, or new lows, right? So that's, I think the next four, six weeks will tell us that. And of course, we got all these inflation reports. We got the Fed meeting. We got midterms and we, we got the... Um, you know the QT quantitative right. type take place. So I, th I think that's that's the negotiation phase right now. Now, if if we get a rally that gets back above all these MAs that I mentioned, and it sustains that bull market's back. You know, be be absolutely clear. And I, I know that people will also look at the midterm seasonality chart for presidential elections. It's quite interesting, actually. It's it's played in general in terms of the directional pivots quite well. And it did call for a peak in mid-August. And guess what? We just had a peak in mid-August. It also calls for a little bounce into early September. But then it calls for new lows in, in, in later September. And then it calls for a big year-end rally. Now, everybody's on the big year-end rally thing, right? So I, I, I assume at some point around october so people will try to take a crack at this the question is obviously then in conjunction what happens with all the lag effects we've we've been talking about how's right. the economy evolving so that in my mind and the judgment is still out on that and we don't want to you know jump the gun on this for sure at this stage okay yeah and this is again why looking at technicals is so important because i mean as you describe that potential trajectory i mean i just can't think in my mind what is a fundamental reason why we should have a a big end of your rally in these markets when the economy is continuing to contract and we're going to have the lag effect of all the you know hit rate hikes and qt and you know well, but yeah i mean this, this is a fair question what is the bull case from here the sum of the bull case was you know fed's going to pivot well they they just took that off the table exactly right? okay okay so if, if if the pause rates well maybe that'll give you a rally but you still have the lag effects that that are still going to go through are earnings improving no you know as as the lag effects take hold growth is going to continue to slow down there's there's a recession in the uk there's going to be a recession in germany you know you got all these little recession fires blurring up uh so the fed's not going to bail you out the monetary supply is shrinking so what is it maybe maybe you get a relief on the dollar because the dollar is sky high, and so you may you may get a reversal in the dollar. Cool, 
Uh, but look at the two-year. Two-year got to 3.47% today, new high for the year. I don't know if wow. it can sustain. If it, if it can reject, uh, then yeah, that would maybe be positive for a rally. But why would it reject if the Fed is going to 3.84% as they said they would? Right. And if you look historically as to where the two-year is now, it's the highest level since 2007. Hello, folks. We, we, we ran up to 125% debt to GDP. We got 25% zombified companies. How how is that how is that a positive into next year for earnings? If it even doodles around between three and three and a half percent, it's not. You know. So yes, you can have relief rallies, but to have a fundamental argument for all of a sudden going back to new highs. You know, I see people say, well, it's negative investor position. Okay, no, but that's that's not a fundamental argument. That's maybe a, a signal argument for a for a rally, you know. But now that we have this new reality of restrictive monetary policy coming, please, I urge you all, rerun your equity valuation models. You know, it, 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 it's, it's not there, you know. And in, inflation rolling over is not a... It, I, if it, it is a good sign, but it's also you got to understand the reason why it's rolling over because everything's slowing down. So you can't. You, the only way you're going to get into new highs is, is just insane multiple expansion based on nothing. Right, and, and as we said earlier, tied to the economy slowing down, you know <clears throat> those record high profit margins they have to mean revert, right? Those earning estimates have to come down. You know, both of those things are are obviously not good for stock prices. All right, well let's let's zoom way back out here. And with both your your macro and your uh, technical goggles on, the the stock markets were at all time record highs right at the beginning of this year. As you look forward ahead, the next year or two, taking in mind everything that you just mentioned, um, where where do you sort of see things going? You know, I'm assuming you think that the the larger trajectory is downward. Um, correct me if that's wrong, but if so, what 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 type of what type of correction do we deserve here from the highs? Hmm. So I'm I'm really terrible at making long term predictions. Um, I I will, just simply because I I don't I don't I'm not arrogant enough to presume how the future will unfold. Yes, um, and your day to day expertise is looking at the technicals and saying this is what I think is going to yeah. happen in the near term. Yeah. Right. So uh, I. If you look at past structural bear markets, 2000 to 2002, and of course, 2008, 2009, or even before, um, there is actually a third possibility between new highs and new lows. And that is incredible chop mm -hmm. for months on end. We saw that actually in 2000. If you look at the chart of the Dow in 2000, it was just, yeah, there were new lows and then there were massive rallies and it, it just basically chopped in a larger range for six months. Six months before actually then the recession took hold and then new lows were ultimately coming. That's why I'm saying you don't want to be perma anything. I mean, if you really want right. to take advantage of the volatility, by the way, I'm just generally saying what a fantastic year this is because, you know, as opposed to looking at two, three handle ranges on the S&P for five hours, as we did last summer, you actually have some really cool moves and, and you, you can take them on the long, you can take them on the short side. It's not easy, but it's uh, it's there. The opportunities are there. So I'm, I'm loving this year from, from that perspective. But to answer your question specifically, if if the world is not flat and if it's not different this time, 
uh, just go back to my basic market cap to GDP. You know, it is the world different to some degree, maybe, you know, with, with all this technology and, and, and the concentration in, in the power of some organizations. But, you know, don't even assume 50% or 75% market cap to GDP. Go back to a standard fully valued market, which is 100%. We're currently at 164%, do the math on the S&P. Where, where would we end up if this is a structural bear market? Again, not a straight line. You, you can go to 2,500. Why not? Seriously, why not? Yeah. Okay. If, 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 if everything in the last 14 years got so exacerbated by permanent intervention and permanent liquidity and, and these ballooning balance sheets, if, if inflation does not come down back to 2% by Christmas, <laughs> but will take a year or two, then yes, why not? And, and the Fed actually reducing its balance sheet back to something maybe more reasonable. Remember, they were down to 3.7 trillion by 2018. And then they moved it up a little bit in 2019 but it was between then and you know when COVID came in, they increased it in 2020 by 76%. Yeah. And then another 19% in 2021, 19% in 2021, why? With inflation running high. And so far, they've been so brave and so bold to reduce <laughs> it by 1.3%, <laughs> okay? Um, so yeah, I mean, it would, it would be painful but it, go back to my housing chart earlier, or the, the, the chart I mentioned in terms of the housing supply. People are literally, the younger generation is literally begging for a housing crash because they can't afford homes. So may, maybe it's actually a good thing to get a proper cleansing of the system, to actually get some you know, more reasonable valuations that are commensurate with the salaries of people, you know. Is that what Emperor Sven would uh, would advise, which is we're just going to take the tough medicine now, let the system clear? I, you know, I was so happy when Powell said pain. I, I, I honestly say, I thought that was refreshing because no no central banker has had, had the guts to say it finally. He finally did. I hope he follows through on it. He, our entire system has been built on pain prevention. That that that's really what it's been all about, and yeah. I, you know, I don't want to see people hurting. But guess what? What we're seeing now is hurting people. It's right. the consequences of overdoing it. We're seeing people hurting because they don't see the opportunities to ever get ahead in this system. You know, the problem with all this is they've they've exacerbated it all so terribly that I am fully cognizant, and of course, the people that are going to get hurt the most again are the ones that are first in line to lose their jobs. And, right. And, and we haven't even and, talked about layoffs yet, but I'm assuming no, and it, like and it, it really, it really sucks. And, and that's why I think this, this whole system is frankly rotten to the core uh, because, you know, again, the benefits are skewed to the very few and it's, it's the lower end of the spectrum that's getting absolutely hammered. I see this here in the UK. I mean, it, what's happening now with electricity prices, obviously, Ofcom came out with an 80% increase in energy costs. That's going to hit people in, in October. People can't afford this. 
they ended up, I, I had, we had a barbecue this weekend and um, uh, one of the guests was an elderly couple. He's, he's almost 80 years old and he's telling me a story and how he's, how he's trying to manage his electricity bill. He's getting a little oven where he's trying to cook only use it only once a day or something like that. I mean, this is already happening in, in August. Yeah. In know? August, I, you know, it's, it's terrible. I, I, you know, it's, you know, I don't, so, have, I don't have the answer. I don't have the answer. I, I just think they, 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 they created this beast and they have to take accountability for it and try to figure out how to noodle, noodle through this. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and gosh, I, 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 I'm tempted to bring you on again at some point and just talk about the social implications here, but you're, you're right. They are terrible. We tend to, I tend to at least focus a lot on the financial side of things first, but I mean, this winter in Europe, there very well may be populations that are making the, you know, having to deal with the fact that they don't have enough money to afford fuel to stay warm for the winter. And, and I'm already seeing headlines like what's going on in Poland right now, where these like multi-day lines outside of the coal mines where people are trying to buy coal right now, where you may not actually even have the supply at any price. You might not be able to get the fuel that you need to, to heat your homes. You, we may have a winter where people are are actually freezing to death in their homes, or at least in danger of such, um, which is almost sort of hard to imagine in today's modern age. Yeah, I mentioned Arnicky at the outset. It's it's you, you can see this in England. There's actually a movement here in England now where people are saying, "Don't pay, don't pay the energy bills," you know, uh, or basically say, "Well, you dispute the bill," you know, which is going to put you know the energy company on the process, right? So then they're going right. to be overwhelmed with bureaucratic uh, processes to deal with with the bills. No, people are angry. Absolutely, they're angry. You know, and, and part of this is probably a, an own goal, right? Remember all the sanctions they were putting on Russia and Putin uh, during the Ukraine war. Um, that that kind of backfired at this point because the war hasn't ended. Putin keeps going. What's the solution here? Right. right. Um, I, I've got that as a question. I really wanted to dig in with you too. Um, before I do though, let me let me just ask the question that I, I've got to ask, which is, um, you know, the people who are watching this channel, they are concerned, prudent investors. They're watching what's going on. They've listened to everything you've just said, and I'm sure it's dialed up their their concern even even more probably. Um, are there asset classes that you think are better suited or asset classes or investing strategies that you think are better suited to this environment that we're heading into here? Um, and are there asset classes that you wouldn't touch with a 10 foot pole in this type of environment? Well, I mean, we're index traders. Okay. So we, we don't focus on individual stocks. Um, you know, look at Friday, for example, what was your safe haven on Friday? Nothing. I mean, literally everything went down, right? Nine, plus ninety percent down day. That's the problem with these these right sizing events. Gold hasn't done anything all year. Mm -hmm. um, if you know, people were all bullish gold as a hedge. Bitcoin certainly hasn't worked either. And by the way, on Bitcoin, I had um, I put out a bullish article in January with a big caveat. I said it's down. But it's completely tied to the S&P and I expect a bear market. So I expect downside. And my view was as a, as a long-term tenure, this is not Northman trader talking, this is Northman investor talking. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be very patient looking at technicals and see where I want to nibble on this here and there. 
in, in, in terms of, because I linked it to the 2000 tech bubble burst because you have, you had the big guys, the big winners, Apple, Amazon, you know, they were all bombing, carpet bombing down 85, 90%, but they were the long-term winners while the pet stop comes and all those other things blew up, right? right. And, and, you know, crypto to me is kind of the same kind of space. There's a lot of fluff in there. There's a lot of non-sustainable business models in there. They're probably all going to disappear, but there may be one or two long-term winners in there. So that's not for anyone, for me to recommend to anyone. It's just my personal strategy as I'm looking at this being under incredible pressure as well, also having a lot more downside risk if, if you go into a larger bear market. For us, it's literally being flexible. If you're not into shorting, which I don't recommend for most people, okay, shorting is not easy. Buying is easier. But to me, when you have big sell-offs, increase exposure. When you have big rip-offs, decrease exposure, mm -hmm. right? It, it keeps building flexibility. Know where the points of confluence are, of support, right? Where it makes sense to be more aggressive, you should be less aggressive. There will come a time when all this sorts itself out, and then we do have a structural bottom in place. Was June a structural bottom? A lot of things will have to go right for that to be the case. And with monetary tightening still ahead of us in terms of restrictive policy, history at least tells us it's not a structural bottom yet. It may be a bottom for this year. Doesn't mean we can't roll over in, into 2023. And that's the other thing. People are really easily influenced psychology-wise. And I've been guilty of this myself by what happens on a particular day or what happens in a particular week or two because price impacts sentiment right. right this this is when you get people too negative on the downside you know they call for new lows and we're all influenced by this because we're hearing all this right you look at january all these banks came out 5,000, 5,100, 5,200, 5,300. These were all their price targets. Not one of them said 3630. Right. Okay. Not one of them. And then when we got to 3630, they were talking about 3,000. They did. Well, thanks. <laughs> I mean, if you listen, <laughs> if you listen to this, you're just getting doubly screwed, right? But it, uh, they're also human and they're also part of the sentiment game right and and so view keep your own head on your own shoulders that, that's why technicals are so great because to help us to tell us that yeah while we're at 4800 it makes little sense to shout for 5300 without something else happening first which which it did right um so i, I like the strategy of being flexible to react and 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 be more or less aggressive. We, we are pursuing a large, uh, long short strategy where either net long or net short, and it depends on where we are with the signals. And then we just try to navigate these situations as, as best as possible. I, I'll just use an example. A sentiment is so important. I, I think I may have mentioned this earlier, but on, on Thursday, before the Powell meeting, the Powell uh, uh, speech at, at Jackson, Jackson Hole, Wells Fargo said, 
he's going to be dovish and there's going to be a relief rally. Goldman Sachs, he's going to be dovish. That's going to be a relief rally. Wrong. All of you guys. And, and people got literally caught with, you know, maybe having bought the dip from the initial rejection that we just saw. And, and they got completely crushed. So the, the notion that there are, you know, the insiders that really know where the next big move is, don't trust that either. I, I, I don't believe that for a second. They, anyone can be wrong, including myself. Anyone can be wrong, right? And, and so sentiment is, is part of the gauge as, as well. Yeah, well, and we talk about this a lot in this program. As in, as individual investors, oftentimes it's our own emotions that can be our worst enemy. Um, oh, yeah, towards building long term wealth. So, as you know, Sven, you know, on this program, we're, we're we highly recommend that people work in accordance with professional advisors um, to take a lot of the emotion out of it, right? To come up with a a plan, a position, uh, position sizing, you know, strategies, uh, as you said, you know. If they're ripping, sell down. You know, if if, if they're they're dropping extremely, but the the thesis still looks in play, then add that type of thing. Uh, so they take a lot of the the emotion out of the decision making, and then you know, specialists like yourself, you know, on the technical side, where you're looking at the data um, as a way to sort of balance all the sentiment that's being shattered at us from the headlines, and just saying, okay, yeah, everyone's expecting that the S and P is going to go to a new high here. But man, things just look so overbought here. You know, this doesn't seem to be the time to go all in on that prediction if things are at this kind of extreme. So again, I just want to underscore our our, our you know continued uh, advice there that if you're an average investor who doesn't have years of experience doing all of this stuff on your own, leverage the expertise uh, of, of experts so that they can you know minimize the whipsaw that your emotions are, are highly likely to do. Hey, real quick on a couple of oh, go ahead. You know the old Isaac Newton story, right? I mean, he just with this kind of example. You, you can be the smartest person on the planet, and and bad things can happen to you if if you're caught in sentiment. Isaac Newton was arguably probably one of the smartest people to ever live. I mean, he invented calculates everything else, right? Motion of the stars. But he got caught up in the South Sea bubble. You know, he he was in the bubble went up. He made a lot of money. And then he sold and he was happy with himself. But guess what? The stock kept going up and up and up. All his friends were making money and then he couldn't take it any longer. And he bought back in again, right at the top and got completely <laughs> crushed and went bankrupt. So, but what was the saying? I can calculate the motion of the stars, but not the madness of people. That's exactly it. I can calculate the motion of heavenly bodies, but not the heavenly bodies. I pulled it up yes. as you were mentioning it. Yeah. 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 So. yeah. And that's a great cautionary tale. If the, one of the very smartest men in human history uh, can be duped by his emotions the same way we can, you know, we shouldn't try. Um, so real quick on a couple of assets, um, two assets. Um, one, uh, given uh, the uncertainty right now and the fact that we can make a pretty good argument that things could go lower in the future, uh, do you think that cash is a, a wise position to hold as at least some percentage of your portfolio here? And I'll ask my second question too, and you can address both. Um, volatility. Um, you know, there are instruments to invest in volatility. This is a much more volatile market than we've had in the past. Um, uh, are you playing volatility anymore? You know, actual volatility VIX based instruments anymore in this environment? So answer your second question first. No, I think they all suck. Okay. Uh, they, I mean, they really do. I mean, oh my God. It's, I mean, yes, there's VIX futures and uh, there's 
horrible products like VXX stay away. I mean, because they just don't track well. They don't track well. They 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 are almost designed to make anyone lose money. Yeah, you can make money if you're exactly at the right time. Um, but volatility as a way of compressing, um, as you may well know from from past experience with us, we 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 chart the VIX. Technically, there's still some holdouts out there. I think you cannot chart the VIX. You can. It's actually incredibly precise um, uh, still to to this day. And the pattern uh, VIX goes through multiple patterns on a regular basis. The most common one are compression patterns that can frustrate and frustrate and frustrate, but they can be so clean. Because look, at the end of the day, it's all about algorithmic trading, and they all respect certain structures and, and formations as well and like the summer rally we had this beautiful compression pattern it held the top line on the way down and held the bottom line on the you know all, all the way down and it kept respecting it and it was telling us a volatility spike was coming um and and it has so far and one thing about the vix that has me generally worried is that we're looking at long-term structures on the VIX and it, you know, it, nothing is confirmed until it's confirmed, but the potential is there that we're going to see something really nasty happening in the VIX and in, into 23. Uh, that would be kind of the, you know, recession, everything is right-sizing types scenario. Uh, notice that the VIX has not managed to stay below 20 this year at all. In fact, every time it got below 20 this year, this was kind of the point where, it kind of spikes up again. I mean, mm -hmm. if you have a true bull market, you want the VIX to not only go below 20, but stay below 20 and then drip into the 15s, 13s. That's your classic bull market compression pattern that we saw like 2017 to 2018 and so forth. But at, at this stage, it, it hasn't done it yet. Now, speaking just about the here and now, just what I'm saying now, we just had three gap ups on the VIX. Um, all VIX gaps fill. That tells me ultimately we're going to still have a counter rally coming here, maybe into early September. Note September 7th, we have the Apple uh, iPhone 14 announcement. You know, we have Labor Day coming. So maybe that gives an opportunity for, to see some more volatility compression. I think the real, the real event that's ahead of us is going to come past September 7th into the end of September, October. It depends on what happens with these inflation reports and the actual Fed meeting and 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 so forth. Um, and by the way, VIX gaps in general is just absolutely fascinating to watch because whenever there's open gaps, literally they all fill at some they point. All they they all fill. There's still one at forty five thousand fill, but we'll we'll see about that one. But yeah, uh, it, we saw this just now with the rally that was uh, here from mid June. While we were long, we we're loving it. Yeah, there were seven, eight open gaps on the S and P. It was just too much. You know, at some point the market wants rebalancing, and we just saw some of these gaps fill, right? And there's there's still lower gaps as well, right? So that that's part of kind of the, the technical toolkit, if you will. If if things get too optimistic or too pessimistic in in in, in either direction, so you got to be mindful of that. But yeah, volatility tells me it's it's not over at all. Okay. So so. Um... Because you track VIX so closely and it coils, right? It has these these wedges it trades into that you expect at some point it's going to break out of. When when it when that happens, uh, 
given how you're looking at this, um, we you, you think there's a high likelihood that it's going to it's going to break up to the upside. If you're not trading in some of these VIX instruments, how do you play that? Do you play that just using the indices? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and you know the the, the fact we use the VIX particularly to help us also identify when to, for example, scale out of shorts. You know, when a when a see a VIX gap fill, you know, like let's say there's a VIX gap up. Let's say for argument's sake, it's there's a VIX gap at 30, and the VIX hits it. That tells me I'm 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 take, definitely taking the shorts down. Now, can it spike above? Absolutely. But it may also, if everything else lines up, it may be also a pivot point to buy. Because every time I see this, when VIX gaps fill, they tend to act as a pivot in the market. It's 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 literally it's it's a signal tool, right? And if, if I look for if I now say, okay, markets are in carnage, and I'm looking at you know signals that signal a potential buy, and I see the VIX massively overbought, and I see it filling a key gap, for example, or even hit a key trend line. By the way, this was a really cool tool this year, which was counterintuitive. As I mentioned earlier, when the VIX when the SP kept making new lows, the VIX make kept making lower highs. That was confounding a lot of people. But it was this lower trend line and it kept tagging it, tagging it, tagging it. And every time it was a buy on the market, right? So the, there is that relationship that we look at closely. And, and at this point, you know, we can say, well, so far this year has been unusual because for true bear market, you would typically see a much higher VIX spike. It's been all very suspiciously orderly so far this year in 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 that sense you know and when you say suspiciously orderly are you thinking potentially that that somebody's buying in the market here to try to keep it orderly you know i i you know i don't have my tinfoil hat with me <laughs> and i don't want to wear one but in context of what happened in the first half of the year the vix made in terms of making lower highs, it was very unusual. The, the entire correction was very orderly. I didn't have any sense of panic at any moment at all. I mean, for a true bottom, typically, you, you want everybody puking into protection. Right. Typically. And that, maybe that goes back to the Bank of America chart. Maybe the VIX is just, maybe there's no conspiracy here. Maybe it's just simply a reflection that people are still conditioned that the Fed will relent and bail them out because they didn't sell because equity allocations remain historically right high. Okay. And so maybe the, the reason there was no fear is because there was no fear. Right. And 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 and, and a lot of market veterans like folks with grayer hair than you and I tell me that that's how they know if we're in a bear market that it's not over because they say by the time a bear market is over like nobody wants to touch a stock with a 10-foot pole and we're just not seeing that kind of capitulation and, and destroyed confidence in equities right now i think i think I called it the five stage of bear market the other day using the five stages of grief Agreed. you know okay yeah. denial anger uh, bargaining depression and acceptance uh, I don't know if we're in denial yet, uh, stage one, or in the bargaining stage at, at this point, right? Uh, but we we but, haven't yeah. had we haven't had the depression part yet at all. We haven't. I, what, what to, and, and I've mentioned this relatively recently. You know, two months ago, people were in the bargaining phase, right? Of like, oh God, please, just if if, you, if this just recovers a bit, then I'll sell out. Just let me get out from being so underwater. People have kind of had that gift, right? The markets have bounced enough that if you were 
sitting on some big losses, you know, you've recouped a good deal with them. So if you think that the market could roll over again from here, like if you were bargaining two months ago, you should be lightening up on those positions now. But then what happens is people begging for a rally to sell out and then the rally comes and they go, ah, oh, the worst is over. And then they're going to add more again. Yeah, they right? put back. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Back to our emotions being our absolute worst enemies here. Or trading backwards. Yeah. Um, so I interrupted you real quick. Uh, just cash your 30 seconds view on it. Yeah. I have, I have flexi always have flexibility. I mean, you know, it. it especially on big rallies, create flexibility. So when there are dips that you think are viable, then, then have that flexibility. Why not Why not be active? I'm not saying be out of the market completely at all, you know, have, have toes in the finger, but be aware of, of shifting risk reward. That's, that's a challenge for everybody. Now you can say, okay, well, I have a 20 year time horizon. I don't care what happens if we drop 30%, fine, you know, I'm I'm too old for 30 year time right. horizons, you know. And and again, if there is no structural bear market and we're coming through this out somehow, then you know, none, none of what I say now makes probably a lot of sense. And if you can take the drawdown uh, of another 10%, 15% down, that's that's fine. But if you we are in a structural bear market. Uh, which to me is still a possibility. It's not been disproven at least at this stage. Then you know, 30, 40, 50 percent drawdowns are going to hurt a lot, you know, in terms of opportunity costs. You know, so uh, to me, the, the the constant dance with risk reward being either more aggressive on the long side, vis-a-vis -vis less aggressive. Again, shorting. I'll leave that for for those that really want to play that. Um, that's I, I'm going to say this again. Principally, shorting is hard. It takes a lot more patience and discipline to position for a short. Uh, right. Whereas when you have, you know, flushes, you, you can be more aggressive or get more instantaneous results in many cases. Right. But the, the notion to always have the flexibility to be able to react to something and going into September, October in particular, I think that's a good thing to have. So if you get a bounce to early September, maybe it makes sense to, to allocate or to have some more flexibility on a, on a downdraft. To use that to raise some cash. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, look, um, Sven, thanks for giving us so much of your time today. I always love talking with you. Um, it, it's one of my, you're one of my favorite guys to interview. Um, and, and here's why I'm going to ask this next question, which is, you know, I follow you a lot on Twitter. We have these great conversations here. Uh, and you seem to be a man who appreciates um, the aspects of wealth and life that go beyond just the financial um, family, fitness, um, keeping a really resilient and, and beautiful homestead, uh, taking interesting travel, having interesting experiences in life. Um, so I'm just curious, like, could you just briefly sum up sort of your philosophy on, on, on what is true wealth in life? What's truly important? Cause we spend so much time sort of stressing about the fed and looking at the numbers on the screen, but you seem to be really good at saying, yeah, I mean, that money stuff's important, but it's not, it's not everything in life. As an old phrase comes to mind, contentment is wealth. You know, mm. if, if, if you're stressed about money, if that's your sole focus, you know, it's going to, it's going to eat you alive. You know, I mean, I, I, I've been poor before <laughs> I've been, I've been through, you know, not, I was not born with a silver spoon in my mouth. So I, I know exactly what it's like to, to struggle financially. So I had that focus. I was in the corporate world for a long time as, as well. 
um, finally got myself out of that and just doing a completely independent thing that works well for me. Uh, I love markets. I love the challenge of markets. Keeps me mentally sharp. You know, it's it's always a, a mental puzzle. Uh, we relocated a few years ago here into the English countryside, and I'm loving it. <laughs> I'm having a I'm having a blast out here. Uh, everything from wood chopping, running, you, you, you name it. Uh, we're we're keeping a balance. And yes, travel absolutely. COVID sucked obviously for all of us. We couldn't go anywhere. But I always love seeing places and change of scenery and also being able to shut off from online. I think that's a big challenge for, for all of us. It's, it's important for mental health to say, okay, now is enough. I don't need to be in every move. I don't need to follow every news story. I don't need to follow what someone says about me. I don't care. You know, you, you got to have the the risk is that we're spending way too much glued to screens in everything that we do. You know, we we're on screens for markets. We're on screens for entertainment. We're just sedentary all the time. And it's, it's a, it's a dangerous path, slippery path to be on all the time. You, you, you saw Elon Musk yesterday. I don't know if you saw this. It's kind of funny. You know, he got a lot of grief. He was photographed on, on a boat in Greece this summer, um, you know, having probably added a little heavy pounds. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I've kind of done the same thing myself during COVID it really frustrated me. So I've kind of been on a, you know, intermittent fasting type regime and, you know, getting fit again and all that. And, and last night I was online and, and, and I just saw him tweeting about it, uh, that he, uh, started pursuing some sort of fasting app and I just made an offhand comment you know, asking him how much he's lost and he actually responded oh you know, really congrats he, he did he did you know I was talking about maybe doing 800 calories a day and how the cravings go away and how much has he lost and and he responded he says I lost 20 pounds <laughs> so it was it was funny because you know this, it's a challenge even for the richest man on the planet yeah right who is massively involved in multiple companies and lawsuits right now and it's not healthy for him either right and i think he's recognized it and he's, he's doing something about it you know so i think that's a keeping a right balance in life i think is a is an ongoing challenge for all of us yeah, balance. I, I think that that's really one of the things that I, I respect most about you, Sven, is you seem to keep a really good balance. And it's, 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 I love hearing your parts about disconnecting from, you know, all our devices and whatnot. Um, you do a really good job of that because you are, you are very active uh, in social media uh, and in digital media with, you know, all your charts and all your observations and whatnot. But you do a really good job of somehow being able to just flick that switch off and then go focus on the rest of your life. So it's a good, it's a good example you're setting for the rest of us. Um, all right, well, look, um, I guess since we're talking about social media uh, and websites, um, for folks that have really enjoyed getting to know you through this conversation and would like to follow you and your work from here, where should they go? Well, my Twitter handle is at Northman Trader, which is also the website, northmantrader.com. I also have a little Northcast that I call, well, Northcast. It's part of my Twitter profile. It's where I try to put out occasional videos explaining some charts and, and what I see. We have a subscription service that's more focused on the actual actionable 
activities and markets, either long, short. Uh, it's called the daily market brief and live action alerts. So you can see that on the website if you like. We also have market videos that I put out two, three times a month, which kind of gives a broader perspective strategy-wise what's happening on the on the macro and on the technical front in, in markets. So never a dull moment. All right, great. And when we edit this video, Sven, we'll put up the uh, links there to the website and to your Twitter handle. Um, well, look, Sven, can't thank you enough for giving us so much time. Folks, a reminder, we're continuing our new practice of me uh, recording my takeaways from these key videos. So if you want to get mine from this discussion with Sven, just go to wealthion.com slash Adam's Notes. All right, Sven, uh, thanks so much for giving us so much of your time. Look forward to having you again on the channel maybe later this year after we see what the fall has brought us in terms of some of these you know, volatile curveballs that you're, you're thinking it might. Um, but just it's always great, buddy. Thanks so much for joining. You bet. Thanks. Great having time with you, Adam. It's been a while, so looking forward to the next time as well. Take care. Great. All right. Well, now's the time in the program where we bring in the lead partners from New Harbor Financial. They're one of the endorsed financial advisors by Wealthion. I'm joined here by senior partners, John Lodra and Mike Preston. Guys, great to see you again. Uh, another great conversation with Sven. He's always just fascinating to talk to. Very curious to hear your guys' takeaways. John, since you were away last week, I'll let you start here. What did you take away from Sven? Hi, Adam. Great to be back. Uh, yeah, Adam, we really, we really enjoy uh, Sven. Mike and I do uh, follow his content uh, pretty, pretty religiously, among many others. Uh, he is, by his own admission, uh, very much a, a uh, index trader, uh, which has his place and is certainly more short-term focused in, in style. Uh, but you know, um, Sven, I think, has driven home a common theme that we have been talking about uh, time and time again. We realize it's it sounds kind of like a broken record, but, but it is what it is. And many of your guests speak to this. And it's just the, the broad context of the paradigm that we've been in, the regime that we've been in with central bank policy over the last decade, uh, with a very focused intent by central bankers to, by manipulation, essentially, drive asset prices up to unnaturally high levels and spend spoke of, and we agree with him, um, uh, basically a, a paradigm shift, uh, and many of your guests agree with us, and, and we're finally getting Fed folks to come out with very strong language themselves, realizing that they, they need to start talking back, in a, and not only just talking back, but acting to, to reverse much of the policies of the last decade. Um, you know, Sven talked about how the uh, quantitative easing uh, basically increased tenfold over the last decade. And even in 2020 alone was up about 75%. Um, but uh, even in 2016 and through 2018, when the Fed started to tighten, it was not really tightening because the rest of the world was, was loosening, right? So it was, it was still an expansionary uh, monetary system. We're now in a phase where most central banks are being forced to tighten uh, with exception of places like China, who's been uh, relatively um, uh, increasingly accommodative. Um, but the rest of the world is tightening on a relative basis. And that's because inflation is now the boogeyman that has finally shown up on the scene. And it's really getting serious. I just read a, a quote today about, you know, we talked about how the housing market's starting to weaken, but it's still, uh, house prices are still um, higher than where they were um, pre-pandemic. Uh, and and uh, they were inflated then. Um, rents, I, I looked at a stat for rents. Um, uh, they were 1623 prior to the pandemic per month. Uh, in August 2021, 1830 a month average rent. Uh, they got as high as they're now 20, 
$2,030 a month. This is uh, from a Zillow rent index. So inflation has become a really, really bad problem for everyday folks who don't own assets and are the price of living. So, so there's a reason why um, Jay Powell spooked uh, the markets last week by using the word pain, because uh, he realized that we've, we think that the market has been not taking them seriously enough in terms of what they need to do to, to, to address this inflation problem. Just today, the Fed's Mester came out and said, uh, if you think, you know, basically we sh she is projecting that we're going to need uh, uh, policy rates of about 4% through 2023. We're now at 2.25. I think the 2.3 is the, the target rate. Um, so there's yet further increases baked into her mind anyways, and that there will be, you know, very little chance of a, a rate um, uh, re, uh, pivot uh, all the way through 2023. So the Fed, the Fed is really starting to talk very tough and the markets are starting to um, reprice uh, relative to that. Um, and we've seen that, you know, uh, there was have, have been a recent uh, uh, technical bounce in markets to some key technical levels that Sven uh, uh, spoke about. And in, at least in the last uh, several days after the uh, Fed uh, speech at, uh, at uh, Jackson Hole, they come off pretty, pretty sharply off of those short-term technical uh, resistance levels is, is what we think ultimately uh, proved to be. So I'll just stop there. That's a you know, high-level takeaway of uh, Sven's comments. All right, great. And, and Mike, I'm coming over to you in a second, but just to build on what you just said there, John. Um, so for a while on this program, we've been tracking the disconnect uh, since the markets started rallying pretty hard uh, after the June lows. Um, and, you know, if you looked at the, the macro situation, there, there really wasn't any good reason for them to be doing so other than what Sven said, which is sometimes you just get so overshold in the short term that there has to be some sort of, you know, short term correction, some, some short term relief rally. Um, but if you looked at what the market was pricing in terms of interest rates, uh, you know, forward for the next year or so, um, it was pricing uh, fewer rate cuts than what the Fed has been guiding, uh, fewer rate hikes than what the Fed has been guiding, and actually projecting rate cuts starting next year, multiple rate cuts. So there's been this pretty pretty wide disconnect between the guidance that the Fed is giving and what the market is anticipating. And sort of the market, I think, had been trying to call the Fed's bluff saying, look, we don't think uh, you guys are going to hike as much as you say you're going to. You've always pivoted in the past, you know, when when things uh, began to get a little tough. And we think you're going to do the same here. And the Fed was saying, nope, we're serious this time for the reasons you mentioned, John. And so it was kind of this game of chicken. And it looks like the market is waking up to the fact that it may have, might have lost that bluff. Uh, that the Fed is indeed proving to be more committed to hiking higher for longer, and the market now has to adjust for that. And and since Powell, you know, gave his terse but you know I'm really serious speech on Friday, the market's done nothing but but uh, go down every day since. Uh, we're now below four thousand on the S and P. Um, so you know how material milestone is that? But we'll find out pretty soon. Um, but anyways, so you know it it does seem that. Uh, you know, what you're saying, uh, John, is I think, you know, everybody initially sort of believed and hoped the Fed and the other officials that inflation was going to be transitory. Uh, it, it wasn't. Uh, it's still being really stubbornly high. And now even the, the central bankers are walking back their initial positivity and saying, hey, this is a real problem. It's going to require pain to fix it, as you, as you mentioned. 
Um, and you know, uh, again, you you look and you were giving some stats of of high real estate and rents and things like that here in the U.S. Man, if you're in Europe, you really understand that inflation is still not tamed. Uh, when you look at your energy bills, right? We're seeing stories of of inflation costs. I mean, sorry, sorry, energy costs going up by uh, hundreds or in some cases thousands of, of percent. Um, uh, you know, you see stories of people getting uh, electricity bills that are in the you know thousands, maybe over ten thousand euros per month. Uh, it's just bananas over there. Um, so anyways, long story short, as you were saying, John, inflation has really changed the game. And as as markets really accept that, uh, for a whole bunch of reasons, mathematically, uh, the odds are that they have to reprice downwards. And the question is going to be, okay, how much further downwards? All right, enough from me. Mike, what did you take away? Yeah, just a couple more things I'll add. Uh, there's a lot of talk about the Fed, like usual, because you know the Fed is the name of the game. It has been for a long time, 14 long years, I think. Um, you know, the Fed has caused conditioned behavior. They have coddled markets. They've rushed in at every little crisis. Actually, I wouldn't even say that a crisis has even been able to develop. And so it's caused this conditioned behavior, and you know, frankly, zombification of the economy that seems to maybe be changing now i hope it is because yes we do need some pain to try to get some reform eventually in this in this central banking regime so it's a, it's a it's a very dangerous situation you know sven talked about the five stages um of grief denial anger bargaining depression and acceptance you know in my opinion we haven't even crossed through denial yet and and john and i have been in this business for a long time you know, I started in the late 90s and certainly saw the tech bubble, then the housing bubble. Now this, I mean, thinking back to my time during tech bubble, you could see palpably each of those five stages. We haven't even crossed through the first stage yet, in my opinion. And the, the decline that we saw so far this year has been suspiciously orderly, to use Sven's words. Absolutely suspiciously orderly. There's been no panic. Yes, there were some sentiment order. Um, figures that were kind of skewed to the bearish side a few years, uh, a few months ago in June, but really to taking a look at what people were actually doing, like, like Sven pointed out again, the equity allocation was in the mid to high 60s. I think he said 64%. I think I saw a chart that said 67%, you know, even at the low 3630 back in June. So what people are actually doing, what investors are actually doing was staying put. And so far that's worked. But we still think that we're in a bear market rally. Sven said that he it's possible we're in a bear market rally. I guess we won't know for sure until those June lows are taking out, taken out to the downside. But you know, since Powell talked last Friday, mentioned the word pain, the market has tried to rally. Each morning the last couple of days, the, the market's been up uh, in the futures and up at the open and then has rolled over. To me, it looks like we're wanting to accelerate to the downside here in the near term. We will see. We will see. But um, you know, we're still at levels at around 4,000 on the S&P. Still a great time to lighten up if you haven't done so. I can tell you from personal conversations that over the last few weeks, uh, a number of people felt more confident about holding on and said, well, maybe I'll just wait for one more move higher. Then I'll sell because I'll be closer to that recent peak. I wouldn't do it. I would. I would lighten up right here if you haven't already done it. And um, and so we're looking for lower 
lower lows here in the near term and, and hopefully opportunities to buy as well when that happens. Okay, so let's let's talk about the actual how do you invest in this type of environment and Sven, you know, Sven said, hey, this is a great environment for me because uh, he's a trader because uh, he said there's just a ton of volatility now that wasn't in the markets much over the past real decade, really. Um, you know, pandemic uh, removed, um, <clears throat> but he said um, in, in this environment, uh, you need to be perma flexible. Right, that uh, any one particular strategy is probably not going to um, safely navigate you from from one side of this era to the other because there's going to be so much volatility in there that that if you don't react intelligently to what's happening on the ground, you know you're you're, you're you might get killed along the way before your main thesis is potentially proven right at the end. Um, so if you're if you're managing uh, you know capital in that type of environment. Um, uh, first off, I think he gave you guys maybe kind of a nice little commercial there, which is uh, it really is a vote for active management, right? You can't just have a set it and forget it strategy, which worked pretty well for the past decade as all boats were rising. You could be long and just not think about it and you, you do pretty well. Now, I think we're in a very different world. And Sven, you know, my takeaway from his commentary was that uh, the odds are likely to the downside uh, with these markets. The bear market's not quite over yet, but he said hey you know he could easily see a scenario where for the next year couple years we're just sort of stuck in chop right where it's going up it's going down it's going up it's going down and um you know that's that that that, that can be a challenging time to make money again if especially if you're just trying to pick one strategy uh but also there's lots of opportunity to make money in that volatility if you are you know watching closely uh, and, uh, you know, have some experience and have some uh, rules in place that, that you know, help you hopefully buy low and sell high as, uh, as you're going through those, those ups and downs. Of course, that type of environment tends to be almost the worst type of environment for the regular investor um, because of the emotional factor, which Sven and I talked about, where, you know, your emotions get in the way. They oftentimes force us to make the wrong decision at the wrong time, an example being, you know, in a volatile market, when the price really starts going up, everybody thinks, okay, well, this is it, you know, we're off to a new high and everybody jumps in and then, then you get the reversal. And so what happens over time is people keep buying high, right? Which is the exact opposite of the buy low, sell high that you want to go through. So John, coming back to you as money managers, you know, stewards of people's capital, um, how are you guys looking at investing in this coming era? Adam, we uh, we totally agree with with Sven's emphasis on on the importance of flexibility, especially in the environment we're in now, with so many cross currents and so many structural likely shifts. And and one of the key reasons for that, we we need to kind of bring, I think, some some transparency back to where we truly are in terms of the markets. Forgetting about the Fed, you know, drug pushing for a moment. Look at where markets are priced. Sven talked. Sven talked about some valuation metrics. And, and most folks can, can logically or intuitively understand that the stock market should have some tethering of valuation to the underlying economy. So one of the one of the most uh, one one of one of the very common metrics for valuation that folks might speak of, and this is the famed Warren Buffett indicator, is the market cap or the, the value of the stock market relative to GDP. And Sven uh, gave us some convenient reminders of, of what those levels have been in major episodes of, of history. The tech bubble, that market cap to GDP peaked out at somewhere in the 150s, okay? Uh, and 
when the tech bubble popped, it dropped into the 70s. Okay. Housing bubble, that metric got to 137, 140% of GDP. Uh, and when that popped, it went all the way down to 55% or so of, of GDP. So the ratio of, of market cap to GDP was, was well below uh, one to one. Um, the recent highs last, you know, last year before this year, um, that metric got up to over 200%. Never, never before, not 1929, not the tech bubble, never before have we seen valuations that untethered or that that inflated relative to GDP. Right. Never and before even, and not even close. Right. Not even close. Not even close. So so we cannot lose sight of that. Okay. Um, because the idea of being flexible and trying to clip coupons on these short-term technical moves is all well and good, but there is you always have to factor in some consequence that you won't get that right. And what is the magnitude of the consequence? So the position size really needs to be taken into account. If you're going to do some short-term trading of, of these technical balances that may likely um, play out in a bear, structural bear market, you certainly don't want to do it with 100% of your money. Uh, and, and especially at these lofty heights, we would say um, it should be all that much smaller of a wager that one is willing to, to make. Um, but even at the June low of this year, um, that ratio only got down to 155%, right where it was at the, the peak of the tech bubble. So we haven't even, even though we were in a technical bear market, we had a bear market to what then was one of the most overvalued levels of all of history. So that is important, re really important for folks to, to remember. You know, oftentimes uh, Wall Street strategists would like to talk about forward, uh, forward PEs, basically their projections for the earnings in the S&P for next year. And right now, the forward PE for the S&P 500 is 18.8, I think, uh, times forward projected earnings. Now, forgetting for a moment that we are still in record margins and forgetting for a moment, as Sven reminded us, that um, the analyst earnings have, have no nothing priced in there for a possible recession. So if a recession does happen, those earnings estimates are wildly inflated to begin with. But the norm, John Hossman did some great work in his, his latest monthly piece uh, and actually went back and, and said, okay, if we're going to use this, this kind of one of the worst metrics of PE that one can think of is the forward operating PE. And there's a reason for that because it's not very reliable unless you correlate it to some other things. He said, if we're going to use that, let's go back and define what the norm has been for that. And, and you, can, you can go back to 1900 as he did and impute what that, and the, and the norm is like about 11, right? So if we're at 18.8 and we're going to 11, that's a 40% drop from here. And ironically, that's that's roughly about the same. If Sven said, even if we only, we only pull back to a hundred percent of GDP on the market cap, which is still way higher than it, it was in any any bear market bottom, that's another forty percent down from here. So, just really important for folks to not lose sight of how inflated things still are at a time when the punch bowl is likely being yanked away in a very profound way. Yeah, um, and it's interesting uh, that number forty percent is coming up again and again in a number of the uh, the interviews that I've done here recently. Um, I know that uh, that's what uh, Jesse, sorry, Michael Pento was uh, sort of estimating. Uh, Jesse Felder was forty to fifty percent. Uh, there's one or two others that I've interviewed in the past just two weeks alone between those two guys and now. Uh, that we're coming up in the same sort of 40% range. Um, look, nobody knows exactly what's going to happen, folks. But I think that that uh, the experts on this channel, at least, are making a pretty good argument that um, it's in, certainly in the realm of possibility um, and, and probably 
getting close to a probability that we should all, you know, be worried enough about to be taking defensive steps against. Um, all right. Well, Mike, look, as we begin to wrap up here, um, uh, one of the things that Sven and I touched on at the very end here was um, uh, the human cost of, uh, you know, we, we rant about the Fed policy and, and whatnot, and, and we, we do all that. Um, not because we just like to be wonks and and be one of the few people, you know, in society that that actually tracks the Fed and, and talks about this type of stuff. We we do it because we're worried about the human cost um, that uh, that poor policy, uh, you know, results in. And you know, I, I just gave some examples about what's happening in Europe right now, uh, where people really are at the point where they're they're like, look, I either pay my energy bill or I eat. That's my choice this month. And of course, this is still August. Um, and folks are watching this, it'll probably be early September. Um, but, you know, we're not even in, in, in winter yet, right? Which is when things are going to get really, really uh, tight and, and challenging there. Um, and, uh, you know, just the inflation that we're seeing, you know, at the end of the day, that is the loss of purchasing power, basically largely due to bad monetary policy. Sure, there's some supply chain issues that are still complicating things, but that's largely all due to, you um, you know, decisions that were made on the monetary and the fiscal policy side. So, um, you know, it, it results in real damage, you know, real harm to real people. And at the end of the day, that's that's why we're so focused on doing what we do on this channel is to try to help educate people so that they can take prudent steps in advance of what might be coming uh, so that they can be better protected from these things. So I, anyways, I know you talk to people uh, all day long there. Uh, I know that you guys, you know, live and breathe. How do we be good stewards of our clients' capital? I'm just curious if you've got any sort of parting thoughts on, um, you know, how how we can best sort of serve people's interests here in trying to get them ahead of the worst of what might be coming. Yeah, it's tough. It, it kind of goes back to the corrupt policies that we have the, with, you know, with the central banks. Um, we've just created an insane concentration of wealth these past 14 plus years as using Sven's words the rich got insanely rich inflation ran wild and now the poor are going to get crushed you know that's that's the problem with these policies and you know Sven said that younger the younger generation is is, is basically hoping and praying for a housing crash I think he's right John talked about the increases in rents which basically went parabolic post-pandemic we haven't even gotten back to where we were in 2020 so yeah we're gonna we're gonna need some pain we're gonna need some type of collapse and i think that the the numbers that were just shared uh, are, are relatively relatively conservative nobody can predict the future and everyone's basically shy to do so because nobody wants to seem too extreme but a 50 percent decline from here would be completely run of the mill and something much more could easily happen 60 70% plus so you can't print wealth you can transfer wealth and this is what what happened the the fed has kept the pedal to the metal for far too long like spen said they should have stopped when we had record fiscal stimulus post pandemic but they didn't they just kept going and going and going and so now we have what i believe is is the largest wealth disparity we've ever seen um in, in the bottom let's say 40 percent really didn't take that ride at all and now they're stuck with higher prices and this is causing problems almost everyone can see it now in the grocery store packages are getting smaller prices are going up and so what do you do your question to me was what do you do to be resilient 
Well, I think that you're you're conservative with the investments that you do have. If you have them, you get as conservative as you can be. Um, simplify your life. It's not easy if you're already kind of on the bottom end of things, but certainly postpone purchases if 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 uh, if you can. Try to save up a little bit of cash. Have some gold and silver in case we get real crisis and hyperinflation. Try to be as resilient as possible. Nobody knows how this is really going to unfold. It should really unfold in a crisis bigger than we even think could happen because it's just that extreme. doesn't feel like it, but it is. And so simplify, reduce, 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 um, you know, reduce risk when you can um, and focus on what's really important in life, relationships and, and fun things to do. That's my best advice. Yeah, I know that's great advice. And, and Sven and I talked a little bit about that at the end, which is, you know, really keeping your eye on the ball and what, what really matters uh, in life with wealth. And, and look, we're here to help you be the best stewards you can be with your financial wealth. But it's only part of the picture, right? And um, and if we see the type of recession that we think may be coming ahead, you know, even despite many people's best efforts, you know, you might be working for a company that goes under or whatever. There may be layoffs. There may be times where the, the money is not coming there exactly the way that you want. And you don't want that to be your only source of fulfillment and happiness in life. You want to have a rich life so that if the money part isn't exactly where you want, uh, you're still you know, living as richly as you can. Um, all right. Well, look, uh, you, you, when you were talking there, Mike, you made me think of a chart that I'll put up right here that, that shows that um, it basically shows the cash balances um, of uh, various different households by income, um, I think, or in income or net worth uh, by income. Um, and uh, it, it shows that uh, that for the, the, the most wealthy, the folks making the most money, um, they just got the lion's share of, of the increase in, in savings, uh, you know, as a result of all the crazy monetary and fiscal policy unleashed after the pandemic. Um, when you look at the under 50,000 uh, cohort, which is the lowest cohort, like it's barely budged. Uh, so it's a really good visual that, um, you know, we, yes, we did a ton of emergency uh, measures to try to help everybody throughout that, but it very, very disproportionately favored the upper end of the, uh, the, the wealth spectrum. Um, so anyways, it's why it makes, you know, I, I think, you know, if you're, if, if you're not a Rockefeller, uh, the takeaway from that is what we advise on this program, you know, week in and week out, which is, uh, partner up with a good financial advisor that understands all of these big macro issues and can help you a put together a plan for navigating what's coming ahead and b kind of be your guide and your quarterback, um, through it, especially if we're entering this very volatile, you know, high chop era that Sven thinks could be coming. Uh, and and the, you know, the key part of that is to leverage their expertise, but to also leverage uh, their counsel when your emotions, you know, begin to take uh, take control of you, uh, where they can be the voice of reason that can maybe stop you from from making rash decisions based upon your emotion and saying, hey, look, what does the plan say? Is there a reason to change the plan? If not, all right, let's let's just stick with the plan, uh, because that can be a huge game changer in terms of saving, you know, yourself from making some really bad decisions. So anyways, if you if you have a great advisor like that, excellent, stick with them. If you don't, uh, then recommend that you try chatting with 
one of the endorsed financial advisors uh, from Wealthion here. Uh, it's totally free. There's no commitment to work with them. It's just offered as a public service. Uh, you could even chat with Mike and John here if you like. Just go to Wealthion.com and fill out the short form there. Um, also, just a reminder for folks in terms of navigating what's ahead, that is the main focus of Wealthion's fall conference, which is coming up pretty quickly now. I think it's only about, uh, about three weeks or so away. It's September 24th. And uh, just want to make sure, because if you're watching this video, uh, the day this is going to be released, uh, you'll only have about 24 hours to register at the early bird price. That expires on midnight uh, this Saturday. So uh, if you are watching this and haven't registered yet and are interested in the conference, go very quickly to wealthion.com slash conference and lock in that early bird discount. It's around 30% or so. So it's definitely a savings you want to lock in if you can. Just a quick reminder for folks that haven't seen it, we've got speakers there like former Fed senior economist Lacey Hunt, uh, Lynn Alden, Matt Taibbi, uh, the award-winning journalist. Uh, we've got uh, uh, Grant Williams and Stephanie Pomboy. We've got uh, Alf Pecatiello. We've got uh, Doomberg talking about energy. We've got uh, Nick uh, Jurley talking about the housing market. We've got Rick Rule talking about hard assets. Mike Maloney talking about precious metals. Jeff Clark talking about the mining stocks. Uh, we're going to have Mike and John there all day, and they'll be fielding your questions. Uh, no question too big or too small in terms of whatever financial questions about your own life you'd like answered. It's going to be a phenomenal time, folks. So if you haven't uh, signed up for that conference, like I said, do so quickly so you can lock in that special price. All right. And if you enjoy, if you enjoyed having spent on this program, would like to see him on again and other great guests of his caliber, please do me a favor and support this channel by hitting the like button and then clicking on the red subscribe button below as well as that little bell icon right next to it. John and Mike, thanks for joining me for yet another week and giving such great counsel. Whatever happens from here, guys, uh, we will be meeting again next week uh, to uh, make sense of it all for folks. Uh, everybody else, thanks so much for watching us. Hey, Adam, before saying goodbye, I want to give you one last, one other plug. Uh, I had the opportunity to look at the uh, uh, video you did with uh, Mary Beth Franklin yesterday on Social Security. Uh, just so happens I have a conversation with a client on that today. And we, we do counsel our clients often on, on these kinds of things. These are the kinds of planning things you can do and, and have a lot of control over. It was, it was great. It was a great reminder what I, what I know. And, and she's certainly a wealth of knowledge on, on the basics of Social Security. So I encourage you viewers to watch that. Hey, I appreciate that. And folks, I'll put up a link to that here if you haven't watched it. Um, I appreciate you mentioning that, John, because... I did think it was a great discussion. In fact, it was a much more interesting discussion than I even expected it to be when I invited Mary Beth on the program. And there's a lot of you know nuance to Social Security. There's a lot of things there that I didn't realize uh, that you need to take into account. And so if you're on Social Security, obviously watch it. But honestly, I think if you have yet to uh, get to Social Security age, you need to watch that video even more because there's a lot of important decisions that you need to make once you start hitting that 62 years of age milestone. And uh, depending upon what decision you make, it can add up to a lot of money uh, in terms of the differential over the course of your retirement or, or, or your later years in life. Um, so yeah, uh, and, and very interesting too. Who knew that that Social Security could be such an interesting subject? So anyways, I appreciate that. Mike, I'll let you have the last word. Just want to say thank you. I enjoyed it like we do every week and uh, we'll talk again with you soon. If you'd like to schedule a consultation with one of the financial advisors at New Harbor Financial, simply go to Wealthion.com. These consultations are completely free and there are no strings attached. 
The good folks at New Harbor will simply answer any questions you have about your investment goals or your portfolio and give you their best advice given their latest market outlook. They're willing to do this because they care about protecting people's wealth and because Wealthion has connected them with so many thoughtful investors just like you over the past decade. We started doing this because so many people have approached us in frustration, looking for a solution because they're feeling out of alignment or downright ridiculed by the standard financial advisors who have been managing their money. You know the type. The kind that just pushes all of your money into the market, scoffs at the idea of owning gold, and when you bring up concerns about the market's sky-high valuations, they say, don't worry, the market will always take care of you. For many of the reasons discussed in today's video, we think this is one of the most challenging and treacherous times in history for investing. We strongly believe that today's investors are best served working in partnership with a conscientious professional financial advisor who understands the risks in play. Now, we're agnostic which professional advisor you work with, as long as they're good. If you're already working with one, that's fantastic. Stick with them. But if you don't, or are having trouble finding one you respect or trust, then consider talking to John and Mike and the team at New Harbor. Now, for those about to ask, yes, there's a business relationship between Wealthion and New Harbor, which we put in place to make sure everything is handled according to SEC regulations. All the details on this are clearly provided on the Wealthion.com website. Also, it's important to note that New Harbor is able to work with U.S. citizens, green card holders, and those with existing assets in the USA but for regulatory reasons, they aren't able to take on non-U.S. clients. All right, with all that said, if you'd like some insight and guidance on how to protect your wealth during this unprecedented time in the markets, go to Wealthion.com to schedule your free consultation with the good folks at New Harbor. Thanks for watching.